0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nocturna. Ma Flanders by Daniel Defoe. Section 4 But Things Did Not End Here. But things did not end here. I went back to town, did the business he publicly directed me to, and was at home before anybody thought me long. As for my gentleman, he stayed out, as he told me he would, till late at night. And there was not the least suspicion in the family either on his account or on mine. We had, after this, frequent opportunities to repeat our crime chiefly by his contrivance especially at home when his mother and the young ladies went abroad a visiting which he watched so narrowly as never to miss knowing always beforehand when they went out and then failed not to catch me all alone and securely enough So that we took our fill of our wicked pleasure for near half a year, and yet, which was the most to my satisfaction, I was not with child. But before this half-year was expired, his younger brother, of whom I have made some mention in the beginning of the story, falls to work with me, and he, finding me alone in the garden one evening, begins a story of the same kind to me made good honest professions of being in love with me, and, in short, proposes fairly and honourably to marry me, and that before he made any other offer to me at all. I was now confounded, and driven to such an extremity as the like was never known, at least not to me. I resisted the proposal with obstinacy, and now I began to arm myself with arguments. I laid before him the inequality of the match the treatment I should meet with in the family, the ingratitude it would be to his good father and mother, who had taken me into their house upon such generous principles, and when I was in such a low condition, and in short, I said everything to dissuade him from his design that I could imagine, except telling him the truth, which would indeed have put an end to it all, but that I durst not think of mentioning. But here happened a circumstance that I did not expect indeed, which put me to my shifts. For this young gentleman, as he was plain and honest, so he pretended to nothing with me, but what was so too, and knowing his own innocence, he was not so careful to make his having a kindness for Mrs. Betty, a secret I the house, as his brother was. And though he did not let them know that he had talked to me about it, Yet he said enough to let his sisters perceive he loved me, and his mother saw it too, which, though they took no notice of it, to me, yet they did to him, and immediately I found their carriage to me altered more than ever before. I saw the cloud, though I did not foresee the storm. It was easy, I say, to see that their carriage to me was altered, and that it grew worse and worse every day till at last I got information among the servants that I should, in a very little while, be desired to remove. I was not alarmed at the news, having a full satisfaction that I should be otherwise provided for, and especially considering that I had reason every day to expect I should be with child and that then I should be obliged to remove without any pretenses for it." After some time the younger gentleman took an opportunity to tell me that the kindness he had for me had got vent in the family. He did not charge me with it, he said, for he knew well enough which way it came out. He told me his plain way of talking had been the occasion of it, for that he did not make his respect for me so much a secret as he might have done. And the reason was that he was at a point that if I would consent to have him, he would tell them all openly that he loved me, and that he intended to marry me, that it was true his father and mother might resent it, and be unkind, but that he was now in a way to live, being bred to the law, and did not fear maintaining me agreeable to what I should expect, and that, in short, he believed I would not be ashamed of him, so he was resolved not to be ashamed of me and that he scorned to be afraid to own me now, whom he resolved to own after I was his wife. And therefore, I had nothing to do but to give him my hand, and he would answer for all the rest. I was now in a dreadful condition indeed, and now I repented heartily in my easiness with the eldest brother, not from any reflection of conscience, but from a view of the happiness I might have enjoyed, and it now made impossible. For though I had no great scruples of conscience, as I have said, to struggle with, yet I could not think of being a whore to one brother and a wife to the other. But then it came into my thoughts that the first brother had promised to make me his wife when he came to the estate. But I presently remembered what I had often thought of, that he had never spoken a word of having me for a wife after he had conquered me for a mistress. And indeed till now, though i said i had thought of it often yet it gave me no disturbance at all for as he did not seem in the least to lessen his affection to me so neither did he lessen his bounty though he had the discretion himself to desire me not to lay out a penny of what he gave me in clothes or to make the least show extraordinary because it would necessarily give jealousy in the family since everybody knew i could come at such things no manner of ordinary way but by some private friendship which they would presently have suspected But I was now in a great strait, and knew not what to do. The main difficulty was this. The younger brother not only laid close siege to me, but suffered it to be seen. He would come into his sister's room, and his mother's room, and sit down, and talk a thousand kind things of me, and to me, even before their faces, and when they were all there. This grew so public that the whole house talked of it, and his mother reproved him for it, and their carriage to me appeared quite altered in short his mother had let fall some speeches as if she intended to put me out of the family that is in english to turn me out of doors now i was sure this could not be a secret to his brother only that he might not think as indeed nobody else yet did that the youngest brother had made any proposal to me about it but as i easily could see that it would go farther so i saw likewise there was an absolute necessity to speak of it to him or that he would speak of it to me, and which to do first I knew not, that is, whether I should break it to him, or let it alone, till he should break it to me. Upon serious consideration, for indeed now I began to consider things very seriously, and never till now, I say, upon serious consideration, I resolved to tell him of it first, and it was not long before I had an opportunity. For the very next day his brother went to London upon some business, and the family, being out a visiting, just as it had happened before, and as indeed was often the case, he came, according to his custom, to spend an hour or two with Mrs. Betty. When he came he had had sat down a while, he easily perceived there to be an alteration in my countenance, that I was not so free and pleasant with him as I used to be, and, particularly that I had been a-crying. He was not long before he took notice of it, and asked me, in very kind terms, what was the matter, and if anything troubled me. I would have put it off, if I could, but it was not to be concealed. So after suffering many importunities to draw that out of me, which I longed as much as possible to disclose, I told him that it was true, something did trouble me, and something of such a nature that I could not conceal from him and yet that I could not tell how to tell him of it neither, that it was a thing that not only surprised me but greatly perplexed me, and that I knew not what course to take unless he would direct me. He told me with great tenderness that let it be what it would, I should not let it trouble me, for he would protect me from all the world." I then began at a distance and told him I was afraid the ladies had got some secret information of our correspondence, for that it was easy to see that their conduct was very much changed towards me for a great while, and that now it was come to that pass that they frequently found fault with me, and sometimes fell quite out with me, though I never gave them the least occasion, that whereas I used always to lie with the eldest sister, I was lately put to lie by myself, or with one of the maids, and that I had overheard them several times talking very unkindly about me, but that which confirmed it all was that one of the servants had told me that she had heard I was to be turned out, and that it was not safe for the family that I should be any longer in the house. He smiled when he heard all this, and I asked him how he could make so light of it, that he must needs know that if there was any discovery I was undone for ever, and that even it would hurt him, though not ruin him as it would me. I upbraided him that he was like all the rest of the sex, that when they had the character and honour of a woman at their mercy, oftentimes made it their jest, and at least looked upon it as a trifle, and counted the ruin of those they had had their will of as a thing of no value. He saw me warm and serious, and changed his style immediately, he told me he was sorry that I should have such thought of him, that he had never given me the least occasion for it, but had been as tender of my reputation as he could be of his own, that he was sure our correspondence had been managed with so much address, that not one creature in the family had so much as a suspicion of it, that if he smiled when I told him my thoughts, it was at the assurance he lately received, that our understanding of one another was not so much as known or guessed at, and that when he had told me how much reason he had to be easy i should smile as he did for he was very certain it would give me a full satisfaction this is a mystery i cannot understand says i or how it should be to my satisfaction that i am to be turned out of doors for if our correspondence is not discovered i know not what else i have done to change the countenances of the whole family to me or to have them treat me as they do now, who formerly used me with so much tenderness, as if I had been one of their own children. Why, look you, child, says he, that they are uneasy about you, that is true, but that they have the least suspicion of the case as it is, as it respects you and I, is so far from being true that they suspect my brother Robin, and, in short, they are fully persuaded he makes love to you. "'Nay, the fool has put it into their heads too himself, "'for he is continually bantering them about "'and making a jest of himself. "'I confess I think he is wrong to do so, "'because he cannot but see it vexes them "'and makes them unkind to you. But 'tis a satisfaction to me "'because of the assurance it gives me "'that they do not suspect me in the least, "'and I hope this will be to your satisfaction too.' "'So it is.' says i one way but this does not reach my case at all nor is this the chief thing that troubles me though i have been concerned about that too what is it then says he with which i fell to tears and could say nothing to him at all he strove to pacify me all he could but began at last to be very pressing upon me to tell what it was at last i answered that i thought i ought to tell him too and that he had some right to know it besides, that I wanted his direction in the case, for I was in such perplexity that I knew not what course to take, and then I related the whole affair to him. I told him how imprudently his brother had managed himself, in making himself so public, and that if he had kept it a secret, as such a thing ought to have been, I could but have denied him positively, without giving any reason for it, and he would in time have ceased his solicitations." but that he had the vanity first to depend upon it that I would not deny him, and then had taken the freedom to tell his resolution of having me to the whole house. I told him how far I had resisted him, and told him how sincere and honourable his offers were. But, says I, my case will be doubly hard, for as they carry it ill to me now, because he desires to have me, they'll carry it worse when they shall find I have denied him, And they will presently say, there's something else in it, and then out it comes that I am married already to somebody else, or that I would never refuse a match so much above me as this was. This discourse surprised him indeed very much. He told me that it was a critical point indeed for me to manage, and he did not see which way I should get out of it. But he would consider it, and let me know next time we met what resolution he was come to about it. And in the meantime desired I would not give my consent to his brother nor yet give him a flat denial but that I would hold him in suspense a while I seemed to start at saying I should not give him my consent I told him he knew very well I had no consent to give that he had engaged himself to marry me and that my consent was at the same time engaged to him that he had all along told me I was his wife and I looked upon myself and I looked upon myself as effectually so, as if the ceremony had passed, and that it was from his own mouth that I did so, he having all along persuaded me to call myself his wife. Well, my dear, says he, don't be concerned at that now. If I am not your husband, I'll be as good as your husband to you. And do not let those things trouble you now. But let me look a little farther into this affair, and I shall be able to say more next time we meet." He pacified me as well as he could with this, but I found he was very thoughtful, and that though he was very kind to me, and kissed me a thousand times and more, I believe, and gave me money, too, yet he offered no more all the while we were together, which was above two hours, and which I much wondered at indeed at the time, considering how it used to be, and what opportunity we had. His brother did not come from London for five or six days, and it was two days more before he got an opportunity to talk with him. But then, getting him by himself, he began to talk very close to him about it, and the same evening got an opportunity for we had a long conference together to repeat all their discourse to me, which, as near as I can remember, was to the purpose following. He told him he heard strange news of him since he went, viz that he made love to Mrs. Betty well. "'says his brother a little angrily. "'And so I do. And what then? "'What has anybody to do with that?' "'Nay,' says his brother. "'Don't be angry, Robin. "'I don't pretend to have anything to do with it, "'nor do I pretend to be angry with you about it. "'But I find they do concern themselves about it, "'and that they have used the poor girl ill about it, "'which I should take as done to myself.' "'Whom do you mean they?' says Robin.' i mean my mother and the girls says the elder brother but hark ye says his brother are you in earnest do you really love this girl you may be free with me you know why then says robin i will be free with you i do love her above all the women in the world and i will have her let them say and do what they will i believe the girl will not deny me it struck me to the heart when he told me this for though it was most rational to think i would not deny him Yet I knew in my own conscience I must deny him, and I saw my ruin in my being obliged to do so, but I knew it was my business to talk otherwise then, so I interrupted him in his story thus. "'Aye,' said I, "'does he think I cannot deny him? But he shall find I can deny him for all that.' "'Well, my dear,' says he, "'but let me give you the whole story, as it went on between us, and then say what you will.' Then he went on and told me that he replied thus but brother you know she has nothing and you may have several ladies with good fortunes tis no matter for that said robin i love the girl and i will never please my pocket in marrying and not please my fancy and so my dear adds he there is no opposing him yes yes says i you shall see i can oppose him i have learnt to say no now though i had not learnt it before if the best lord in the land offered me marriage now i could very cheerfully say no to him well but my dear says he what can you say to him you know as you said when we talked of it before he will ask you many questions about it and all the house will wonder what the meaning of it should be why says i smiling I can stop all their mouths at one clap by telling him, and them too, that I am married already to his elder brother." He smiled a little too at the word, but I could see it startled him, and he could not hide the disorder it put him into. However he returned. Why, though, that may be true in some sense, yet I suppose you are but in jest when you talk of giving such an answer as that. It may not be convenient on many accounts. "'No, no,' says I pleasantly. "'I am not so fond of letting the secret come out "'without your consent.' "'But what, then, can you say to him, or to them?' says he. "'When they find you positive against a match, "'which would apparently be so much to your advantage.' "'Why,' says I, "'why should I be at a loss? First of all, I am not obliged to give me any reason at all. "'On the other hand,' i may tell them that i am married already and stop there and that will be a full stop too to him for he can have no reason to ask one question after it ay says he but the whole house will tease you about that even to father and mother and if you deny them positively they will be disobliged at you and suspicious besides why says i what can i do what would you have me do i was in straight enough before and as i told you i was in perplexity before and acquainted you with the circumstances that i might have your advice my dear says he i have been considering very much upon it you may be sure and though it is a piece of advice that has a great many mortifications in it to me and may at first seem strange to you yet all things considered I see no better way for you than to let him go on and if you find him hardy and in earnest marry him i gave him a look full of horror at those words and turning pale as death was at the very point of sinking down out of the chair i sat in when giving a start he said what's the matter with you where are you a-going and a great many such things and with jogging and called to me fetched me a little to myself, though it was a good while before I fully recovered my senses, and was not able to speak for several minutes more. When I fully recovered, he began again. "'My dear,' says he, "'what made you so surprised at what I said?' "'I would have you consider seriously of it. You may see plainly how the family stand in this case, and they would be stark mad if it was my case, as it is my brother's.' and for aught, I see, it would be my ruin, and yours, too. "'I,' says I, still speaking angrily, "'are all your protestations and vows to be shaken by the dislike of the family? Did I not always object that to you, and you made light thing of it, as what you were above, and would value, and it is come to this now?' said I. "'Is this your faith and honour, your love, and the solidity of your promises?' he continued perfectly calm, notwithstanding all my reproaches, and I was not sparing of them at all. But he replied at last, "'My dear, I have not broken one promise with you yet. I did tell you I would marry you when I was come to my estate. But you see my father is a hale, healthy man, and may live these thirty years still, and not be older than several are round us in town. And you never proposed my marrying you sooner.' because you knew it might be my ruin. And as to all the rest, I have not failed you in anything you have wanted for nothing. I could not deny a word of this, and had nothing to say to it in general. But why then, says I, can you persuade me to such a horrid step as leaving you, since you have not left me? Will you allow no affection, no love on my side, where there has been so much on your side? have i made you no returns have i given no testimony of my sincerity and of my passion are the sacrifices i have made of honor and modesty to you no proof of my being tied to you in bonds too strong to be broken but here my dear says he you may come into a safe station and appear with both honor and splendor at once and the remembrance of what we have done may be wrapped up in an eternal silence as if it had never happened you shall always have my respect and my sincere affection only then it shall be honest and perfectly just to my brother you shall be my dear sister and now you are my dear and there he stopped your dear whore says i you would have said it if you had gone on and you might as well have said it but i understand you however i desire you to remember the long discourses you have had with me and the many hours' pains you have taken to persuade me to believe myself an honest woman, that I was your wife intentionally, though not in the eyes of the world, and that it was effectual a marriage that had passed between us, as is we had been publicly wedded by the parson of the parish. You know and cannot but remember that these have been your own words to me. I found this was a little too close upon him, but I made it up in what follows." He stood stock-still for a while and said nothing and i went on thus you cannot says i without the highest injustice believe that i yielded upon all these persuasions without a love not to be questioned not to be shaken again by anything that could happen afterward if you have such dishonorable thoughts of me i must ask you what foundation in any of my behavior have i given for such a suggestion if then i have yielded to the importunities of my affection and if i have been persuaded to believe that i am really and in the essence of the thing your wife shall i now give the lie to all those arguments and call myself your whore or mistress which is the same thing and will you transfer me to your brother can you transfer my affection can you bid me cease loving you and bid me love him is it in my power think you to make such a change at demand no sir said i Depend upon it, tis impossible, and whatever the change of your side may be, I will ever be true, and I had much rather, since it has come to that unhappy length, be your whore than your brother's wife. He appeared pleased and touched with the impression of this last discourse, and told me that he stood where he did before, that he had not been unfaithful to me in any one promise he had ever made yet but that there were so many terrible things presented themselves to his view in the affair before me, and that on my account in particular that he had thought of the other as a remedy so effectual as nothing could come up to it. That he thought this would not be entire parting us, but we might love as friends all our days, and perhaps with more satisfaction than we should in the station we were now in, as things might happen, that he durst say, "'I could not apprehend anything from him "'as to betraying a secret, "'which could not but be the destruction of us both, "'if it came out, "'that he had but one question to ask of me "'that could lie in the way of it, "'and if that question was answered in the negative, "'he could not but still think "'it was the only step I could take. "'I guessed at his question presently, "'namely, whether I was sure I was not with child. "'As to that, "'I told him he need not be concerned about it, for i was not with child why then my dear says he we have no time to talk further now consider of it and think closely about it i cannot be of the opinion still that it will be the best course you can take and with this he took his leave and the more hastily too his mother and sisters ringing at the gate just at the moment that he had risen up to go he left me in the utmost confusion of thought and he easily perceived it the next day, and all the rest of the week, for it was but Tuesday evening when we talked, but he had no opportunity to come at me all that week, till the Sunday after, when I, being indisposed, did not go to church, and he, making some excuse for the like, stayed at home. And now he had me an hour and a half again by myself, and we fell into the same arguments all over again or at least so near the same, as it would be no purpose to repeat them. At last I asked him warmly what opinion he must have of my modesty that he could suppose I should so much as entertain a thought of lying with two brothers, and assured him it could never be. I added if he was to tell me that he would never see me more than which nothing but death could be more terrible. Yet I could never entertain a thought so dishonorable to myself, and so base to him, and therefore I entreated him, if he had one grain of respect or affection left for me, that he would speak no more of it to me, or that he would pull his sword out and kill me. He appeared surprised at my obstinacy, as he called it, told me I was unkind to myself and unkind to him in it, that it was a crisis unlooked for upon us both, and impossible for either of us to foresee. But that he did not see any other way to save us both from ruin and therefore he thought it the more unkind but that if he must say no more of it to me he added with an unusual coldness that he did not know anything else we had to talk of and so he rose up to take his leave i rose up too as if with the same indifference but when he came to give me as it were a parting kiss I burst out into such a passion of crying that though I would have spoke I could not, and only pressing his hand seemed to give him the adieu, but cried vehemently. He was sensibly moved with this, so he sat down again and said a great many kind things to me, to abate the excess of my passion, but still urged the necessity of what he had proposed, all the while insisting that if I did refuse he would notwithstanding provide for me. But letting me plainly see that he would decline me in the main point nay even as a mistress making it a point of honour not to lie with the woman that for aught he knew might come to be his brother's wife the bare loss of him as a gallant was not so much my affliction as the loss of his person whom indeed i loved to distraction and the loss of all the expectations i had which i always had built my hopes upon of having him one day for my husband. These things oppressed my mind so much that, in short, I fell very ill. The agonies of my mind, in a word, threw me into a high fever, and long it was, that none in the family expected my life. End of section four.